everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Genesis. We are now embarking on chapters 22 to 23, and my name is Jonathan Chen, and I'm so glad you can join me today as we journey through these next two chapters. But before we begin, I want to show you a video clip because that's what we do every week. So I'm going to show you a video clip, but before I show that, just a warning. If you have any little ones who are under the age of 16, uh, you may want to have some caution as this movie clip is taken from John Wick 3, which I believe the movie was rated R due to just gruesome violent scenes. So again, parental advisory. If you have any little ones, maybe scoot them a little bit away for two minutes and we'll show you this video clip and then have them come back after two minutes. All right. Sit back, relax, enjoy the clip. I will serve. I will be of service. Very well, my son. Cast aside your weakness and reaffirm your fealty to the table. Mr. John Wick. Thank you. I accept this offering and your fealty. I wish you good luck on your path. Zaire will help you prepare for your departure. Fealty. What is it? Faithfulness, loyalty, devotion, duty. Those are some words that are synonymous with fealty. Like Abraham, all of us who call ourselves Christian made an oath that God has our fealty, right? But here's the question. Is our fealty legit? For John Wick, the elder who he visited, wanted him to prove it. He said, I want to see John Wick, show me. And he had to cut his finger. Now, does God have your fealty? Then God wants you to prove it, show it to him. He demands you to cut off your finger. No, <laughs> just kidding. I'm very sure that God does not demand us to cut one of our limbs to prove our faithfulness and loyalty to him. Yet there is a call for all of us to authenticate our fealty to God in other ways, right? Meaning, is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is truly in you? 
working and molding you to be more like Jesus? The Holy Spirit is the only person who can enable us to remain faithful to God and have our fealty, or for God to have our fealty, to be more like Jesus. So the question is, is the Holy Spirit in you? Now, it's not like God doesn't know whether our fealty is legit or not. He's God. He knows. So why do we need to prove it? Why do we need to show it? Well, it's more for us to know for ourselves. Because if faith is a gift given by God, and if the Holy Spirit is a gift given by God, don't you want to know whether you truly have the Holy Spirit in you? Don't you want to know? Don't you truly want to know that you have faith in you? And how do you know? It's basically by looking at the evidence in our lives. That's why James said this to his audience, the very popular passage. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So it's not because we have to work for our salvation. James didn't say that. We all know that salvation is something we pay for, not something we work for. We pay for it for our, with our lives. This is about proving to ourselves that our fealty to God is legit. I.e. that if we have the Holy Spirit at work in us, working on us, we will be faithful and loyal to God. I remember my atheist colleague once told me, John, Christians try so hard to find scientific evidence and historical evidence to prove that Jesus exists. Well, for me, I want to see evidence in you. Even an atheist knows the importance of actions, actions that speak louder than our words. Well, I have good news and bad news. Good news is that God will always, always give us many opportunities to put our faith into action and prove to ourselves and others of our fealty to God. All we have to do is pray and request that God will give us these opportunities. The bad news, he always answers. He always answers those requests and it's his way that he answers. And sometimes those ways are not really that attractive for us. Those ways can be through tests, trials, sufferings that require us to make immense sacrifices. Choices of either choosing this and that, but those options are, requires us sacrifice. More so than just cutting our finger. And that's our point that I would like to expand on today when we explored Genesis chapter 22 and 23. So let's begin. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 to 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham! And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The test starts right in the beginning, when God calls out Abraham, and Abraham responds with, Here I am. Bruce Walkie says this about the here I am statement. Here I am is a regularly used reply 
in ordinary speech, especially between persons related by intimacy or respect, i.e. father-son, king-subject. Although Abraham has not always been faithful, the repetition in verse 1 and 11, we'll get there, shows that in this climactic test of his faith, he is attentive and receptive to God's word. So the first thing that God does when he tests our faith is to see if we are always ready and willing and available to respond to his call. Do we, like Bruce Walkie says, have an intimate relationship with God like Abraham to respond with saying, here I am, whenever God calls us. Abraham could have said this, the person you are reaching is unavailable at the moment. Please leave a message at the sound of the sheep. Or he could have said, well, God, not yet. I'm barely surviving taking care of Isaac. I'm head above water. I'm busy with my business and my wife needs me to fix the plumbing over at that well. No, Abraham was always ready to answer God's call, just like he did right in the beginning when God told him to leave his homeland and everyone behind. When God calls, Abraham was ready to drop everything and say, here I am. Now, are we able to do that? Because that's the first indication as to whether our fealty is legit. It is, to, it is whether we answer the call from God, ready and willing and available. The next part of the test is a big one, and that's the one that we're very familiar with. God tells Abraham, quote, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Notice how many times God emphasized son. In fact, the word son is repeated 13 times in this one chapter. What does the author want to convey to us then? Why is he repeating it so often? Again, I think Bruce Waukee said it best. An old man's only son is like a staff or cane to the old man. It is a sad thing when an old man's staff is left behind after his death, but much sadder when the staff is taken away and the old man is left. How illogical is God's request of Abraham to break his staff? How absurd to ask Abraham to negate the reality that had reversed his years of disappointed hope. How morally questionable to ask Abraham to violate a moral law that will latter become the sixth of his famous Ten Commandments. You shall not take an innocent life. The command teeters on the edge of morality. We are left with inexplicable and exacting realization that faith demands radical obedience. Abraham is asked to behave in a way that it is illogical, absurd, and to say the least, non-conventional from the human perspective. Within the biblical worldview, however, such radical behavior proves the true nature of biblical faith. God knew that Abraham really loved Isaac. He cherished him as his only son. He also knew that by commanding Abraham to do it is completely illogical because wouldn't killing Isaac jeopardize the covenant that he promised to Abraham? Didn't God say that it was through Isaac that the covenant, both the global 
and Abraham's will come into fruition? If you recall, though, Abraham was a pragmatic and logical person. And sometimes, as we saw, his pragmatism and logic got him into trouble and led him to disobey God. We saw Abraham's logic and pragmatism at work twice when he lied to Pharaoh and Abimelech, that Sarah was his sister to save his butt. We also know that he slept with Hagar because it was the most practical thing to do to have a child. Yet though logical and practical, Abraham disobeyed God. But we also knew that Abraham's faith continued to grow each time he learned his lesson and he turned back to God, case in point, his relationship with Lot. The question then is this, at this juncture, at this point in time, will this be another time when Abraham resorts to his pragmatics, logic, and disobey God? Or will he put aside his natural inclinations and trust and obey God that no matter how absurd, illogical God's command was, he'll do it. The answer is found here. In verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham obeyed. No matter how absurd or illogical or totally against his, totally against his grain of thinking, he obeyed. Take notice that the author really slowed things down in this passage. And he described in detail every action in sequential order. Abraham rose. Abraham saddled. Abraham took, Abraham cut. The author is determined to tell us, the reader, that obeying God is not some haphazard action that does not require thought, care, and meditation. The author slowed everything down for us to sink into Abraham's psyche, making us wonder what is going on in Abraham's mind right now while he's saddling, while he's cutting the wood while he's taking Isaac. Abraham is doing the same type of wrestling as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the author wants us to enter into Abraham's wrestling. The continuous wrestling and the conquering of inner doubts and fear and be overwhelmed by God's faithfulness, knowing that God will fulfill his covenant regardless of how illogical and absurd his command is for us to obey. Look at what Abraham says at the end of this segment. He believes sincerely that Isaac will be alive after he sacrifices him. Somehow, some way, he doesn't know, but he trusts that God will remain faithful to the covenant as long as he has Abraham's fealty. Let's move on to verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there. Again, the author is slowing things down. Abraham built the altar there, laid wood in order, and bound Isaac, his son, 
and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. That's very descriptive. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And check this out. Abraham said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram cut in the thicket by his thorns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Again, the author, as I mentioned, took it really slow, described every action in detail, built, laid wood, bound Isaac, and laid him on the altar, reached out, took the knife to slaughter. As we mentioned before, the word son is repeated because the author wants to emphasize Isaac was precious to Abraham, and the test was whether Abraham's affection for God's gift was greater than his fealty to God. Abraham chose the latter and remained faithful and loyal to God. God stopped Abraham from slaughtering Isaac and instead gave Abraham a ram to offer as a burnt offering instead. He didn't know that that would happen, but Abraham proved his fealty to God. Now, there are many commentaries and studies who delve into this analogy of how the ram foreshadows Jesus' sacrifice as a substitute. However, there are many arguments against this. There's a problem here. For those who know their Old Testament very well, Jesus' sacrifice was for atonement. In Abraham's case, the ram wasn't for atonement at all because both Abraham and Isaac didn't sin. They were obedient to God. Abraham's act of obedience without any hesitation proved himself and to us, the reader, that he not only passed the test, but proved to us that his faith and loyalty to God was legit. That is the most important principle that we can draw from this passage, not the ram. Let's move on. Verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. With great faith and loyalty to God, Abraham is given reassurance. Actually, Abraham proved to himself that his fealty to God was legit. Therefore, Abraham knew that he will remain in God's covenant for him. That's why God reassures Abraham that his covenant with him remains intact, no matter how many times Abraham will slip up because Abraham is loyal to God. You can slip up as many times, but as long as you remain loyal to God, God will call you faithful and righteous. Now, for the rest of the descendants, they too are required to have the same faith and fealty like Abraham to experience this blessing. God will remain faithful. It's the issue is the issue is whether Israel will remain faithful. God will remain faithful to us. God will remain faithful to the global vision for all of humanity 
and the God will remain faithful to His vision for each of us. It's the issue. The issue is whether we remain faithful to Him. We remain faithful on the vision train. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 2.13, just to emphasize this point. He says this, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I still remember a uh, quote from Pastor Daryl Johnson. He said this in one of his sermons, There will be many times when we feel that we don't want to love Jesus. But one thing for certain, Jesus will always love us. Let's move on to the next chapter, and we'll just take a brief look at one passage that highlights everything in this chapter, in verses 2 to 9. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner. And a foreigner among you, give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us, but your dead in the, oh, sorry, bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Now Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of this field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Okay. For those keeners out there, continue reading this chapter on your own. You will realize that it's almost like a polite fight. I don't know if you know this, a polite fight. Uh, if you ever go to a, uh, a meal with your friends and the bill comes, everybody fights for it just because out of politeness, but really no one really wants to pay for the bill, but everybody just fights for it. And then to a certain amount of time, a uh, certain amount of repetitions, then somebody would just pay for the bill and then everybody goes, okay, you pay for the bill. Polite fight. This sounds like it, but it's not. Because it goes back and forth a few times, almost a half a dozen times, that Abraham and the Hittites were going back and forth. No, I want to pay for it. The Hittites say, no, 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 I'll give it to you. Abraham, pay for it. This goes on for a while. And we thought, and to me initially, I thought it was a polite fight. But actually, it's not. John Walton said this. Abraham wanted to buy the land to bury Sarah, uh, as opposed to have the land given to him, Because the reason is that if he didn't buy it, the Hittites could take it back anytime in the near future. So Abraham had to buy the land in order to keep it, in order to invest in it, in order to call it his own. That's like putting a lot of your life savings in your house. That you want to, you pretty much made a decision to call this community, this neighborhood, your own. That you are here forever. All right? That's a huge investment. So what does this mean then? What kind of, what kind of principle do, can we draw from here in relation to the previous chapter? Well, right after God affirming Abraham, right? And assuring Abraham that his covenant with him is intact. Chapter 23, following, 
just prove that Abraham believed in God's word. He believed and had confidence and had fealty to God and bought the land that was promised to him by God. It's like saying, uh, I am no longer traveling. I am no longer a foreigner. I do, want to be, I do not want to be a nomad. This land is mine. I know that because God has given it to me. He says that I am here for the long haul and to stay here forever. And so I am going to buy it, put pretty much half of my life savings into this land. So Abraham really put all his eggs in this basket, God's covenant. Now, for those who are bankers out there, it's like you trust Elon Musk of Tesla so much that you pour your entire life life savings into Tesla. Yeah, that's how much Abraham trusted God. And folks, that's faith in action as well. Showing us that Abraham's fealty, his loyalty, his faithfulness to God was legit. And he put it into action. Both in his obedience to sacrifice Isaac and his purchase of the land, believing in God's promise that this is it. This is the place. He doesn't have to wander anymore. Abraham put his life investment into God's promise. That's interesting because that's something very practical for us. Are we willing to put our money, our investment into God's promise? And for those of you who have children, and for those of you who only have one child, like myself, uh, can we put our child before God to be used for God's service? Um, And that's a challenge. Because my wife and I sometimes ask uh, when we have conversations, what happens if our daughter decides to, after high school, decides to go into seminary and become a missionary full time? That's completely against what our logical thinking is. It's not practical. It's not logical. In fact, uh, it's almost like it's very absurd, just like, it's not as bad as sacrificing Isaac on the altar, but it has a similar type of motif, right? Can I accept that? Can I accept my daughter's calling from God? Am I ready, willing, and available to say, here she is, take her, God, and use her for your glory? I have to, because that is to prove to myself my fealty to God. And I hope that you and I will continue to pray for many opportunities for us, for God to show us our fealty, to prove to ourselves our fealty and our faithfulness and loyalty to God. You don't need to show it to God. Rather, it's more about to show it to yourself and to others. Thank you.